0: Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. So we're in week two of a series titled Grow Up, and we started that last week. And I want to I want to continue from where I started last week. Please, I encourage you to... Just make sure you go and follow. This year, the body of work, by the grace of God, that we're going to be putting out in terms of teachings, they are all critical teachings, okay? You need to follow through the progression. Like I said last week, that there is a systematic approach to growth. And so you, you cannot, for example, be learning about deliverance before you learn about salvation. If not, your understanding will be warped right? There is a progression. So we are following a progression this year, and God would help us in Jesus' name. Luke chapter 15, 11 to 31, is where I'll start. NLT for my reading this morning, and we'll take off from there. Amen. If you're new in our house, my name is Deji, and I'm privileged to serve on the team here at Lighthouse Church. All right, the Bible says this, that to illustrate the point further, Jesus, obviously, in Luke chapter 15, had told two parables, the lost coin and the lost sheep, okay? And here we get to the parable of the lost son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son, younger son, somebody say younger. Younger. (laughs) Told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed. (laughs) And he divided, he agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild livings. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs with looked good to him. No one gave him anything. and When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son, somebody say older. Older. The older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, saying, Begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. In all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, he didn't say my brother, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Holy Spirit, again, we ask for help. The Word of God is not a storybook. It's the very words of Jesus. So I ask for insights. I ask for utterance. I ask for understanding hearts. I ask for fertile hearts as well. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the series we're in is a series on spiritual growth said that last week all right we're in a series on spiritual growth and the title of my topic today is the mature and the immature believer the mature and the immature believer amongst a lot of things that we said last week no recap because of time one of the things i said i gave many definitions for spiritual growth one of the definitions for spiritual growth i gave us last week is that spiritual growth is the journey from carnality to spirituality do you remember that I said that spiritual growth is that journey from being carnal, all right, and I'll define that in a second, to being spiritual, to being spiritual. First Corinthians chapter three and verse three, I want to read a scripture to you from verse one, actually. First Corinthians chapter three from verse one to three. Paul is writing to this church and back to NKJV. He says, and I, brethren, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people but as to carnal people. As babes in Christ. In other words, when you're carnal, it means that you're a baby in Christ. It means that you haven't grown. That's what I'm trying to say in your walk. He says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. So Paul is saying to this church that there are certain things that you're not able to accommodate in your diet because you haven't grown. You're not mature enough to be able to take on some of the things that I have to tell you. He says, I only address you as babes. I continue to give you the milk of the word because I cannot give you solid food. He says, even now, you're still not able. He says, for you are still carnal. You are still carnal. All right? For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, he says, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? That's a very profound statement. In other words, when you see envy, strife, divisions amongst people, it means that they are carnal if they are Christians. That immediately tells you that half of the body of Christ is carnal. Do you understand that? Yeah. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, I can't start to talk to you about more serious issues because we are still dealing with envy. We are still dealing with strife. She didn't invite me. She didn't greet me. You know, She didn't give me a compliment, even though I told her that she looked nice. She was supposed to say it back. (laughs) All right? why did pastor go to this person's party and did not come to my own party? Paul is saying that these people were very carnal. I love how the Passion Translation puts it, the very last part of verse 3. i read it. It says that, if so, this proves that you're, pay attention, you're living your lives centered on yourselves. So one of the definitions of canality is when your life centers around you. Hmm. Number two, you're dominated by the mindset of the flesh. Okay, The way you think is not spirit-inspired. Your, your thoughts are fleshly. Okay, And number three, it says you're behaving like unbelievers. That's what the Passion Translation says. Number one, you're living your lives centered on yourselves. So when Christians start to talk, me, 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 and it was me, and he did this to me, it means that you are still a babe in Christ. If you're dominated by the mindset, your way of thinking, okay, is always, according to the patterns of this world, you have no spiritual perspectives about anything, it means that you're a carnal. And when you behave like unbelievers, when you behave, just think about that, like unbelievers, it says that we are carnal. Have you ever had something happen to you and you say, let's forget Bible, Let's leave Jesus for now. Let's deal with Let me show you that I'm, not, I'm a Christian, but I'm not foolish. That canality, that's what it is. That's what Paul was saying. Canality. So, canality, all right, is when your thoughts, of course, your thoughts lead to actions. Your thoughts, your actions, your words, and your understanding. Your thoughts, your actions, your words, and how you understand are not spirit-based, In other words, when your perspective is always divergent from the perspective that God has concerning issues, concerning situations, the Bible is saying to us that we have symptoms of carnality. Now, how carnal you are, I cannot say. But let's assume that there is an absolute measure of spirituality. Let's call it 100%. I don't know if you're 10% carnal and 90% spiritual because the, the sum total of the two is the totality of who you are. If you're 100% carnal, it means there's no spirituality in you. Really, let's call it that you're not even saved. When you give your heart to Jesus, at least you get credit of 1%. (laughs) And there your journey starts. Okay? I remember back in the day when I think GSM first came out in my home country of Nigeria, when you get your first SIM card, there'll be some credit on it. There'll be some credit on it. That credit you get, you get that as soon as you give your heart to Jesus 1% spirituality. Just because of the nature of God inside you, you must grow. In spirituality, the the objective is that your spirituality would exceed your carnality. And ultimately, that you become purely spiritual as a person. All right, but (laughs) Paul is saying to this church that they are carnal people. You don't want to get into the Corinthian church, because that church had many issues. But one of the things that amazes me about this particular church is that this was by far the most gifted church in all of Scripture. This was a church where, in a service, everybody had a prophecy. And it was accurate. Prophets everywhere. Word of knowledge everywhere. Rema. Open visions. But Paul is saying to this church that is, quote-unquote, very spiritual, that they are extremely carnal. The Corinthian church. It was so bad in this church that, the services were very charismatic. That Paul had to tell them, "Don't prophesy at the same time." There was an abundance of prophets, but Paul saying that, in other words, canality or spirituality is not a measure of spiritual gifts; it's the fruits, not the gifts. Okay, and so he's he's talking in Corinthians as well. First Corinthians thirteen eleven. This is profound. He says, "When I was a child, I spoke as a child." Paul is writing about it, his own testimony. He says. I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. So one of the ways we can measure your spiritual growth is how you speak, how you understand, and how you think. He says, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. They don't leave you. You, you must put them away. I put it away. I put away childish things. I decided that I would no longer be bogged down by strife and envy and all those things that, you know, what happening to these people. So when, the way you speak... The way you understand and the way you think will tell us if you've grown in your walk with God. So, if you speak, understand, and think the same way you did when you first met Jesus, then you're not growing. Your perspective must have shifted, even just a little bit. Even just a little bit. So, this, we can sum up your entire life in what you say, how you understand, and how you think. How we think. And so, for us as Christians, as we go on this journey of spiritual growth, like I said, our objective is that we grow from a place of carnality to a place of spirituality. And guess what? I said it before, I can say it again that we can even do spiritual things in a carnal kind of way. You can serve on team in a carnal kind of way. If you serve to be seen, you're doing that from a carnal kind of point of view. You can pastor people with ego and pride. So, you can do spiritual things, but do it with Canality. I'm praying for you that every form of canality in your life will die in Jesus' name. Amen. Please say a living amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so that you can grow. You can grow. And so, as I take it on from there, one of the things we said last week was I spoke about some of the reasons why you must grow in your work with God. And I gave you the reasons why you must grow for your benefits. Okay? I want to give you two reasons why you must grow, not particularly for your benefit, but for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Now, let me say this immediately, because as Christians, many times, we don't care about what we can do for God. We want what God can do for me. You know, what have you done for me lately, right? We want what God can do for us. So if I say, well, if you grow in your spiritual life, you'll become richer. Everybody wants to grow. But if I tell you that the reason why you need to grow in your walk with God is for the sake of the kingdom of God, people are like, tune out. When you get back to the place where you're saying something that makes sense, I'll tune back in. But we cannot do that as Christians because, let me say this to you, just imagine that you, know, you have a father, or parents, and your parents invest a lot of money in you, sending you to school. For some of us, you can relate. Maybe, maybe you came to Canada from, maybe Canada is not the country of your birth, right, your birth country, and you came here from another country. Your parents maybe had to change money and try to put you through school, made a lot of sacrifices for you. You have to admit that there is a point in that journey where the journey becomes difficult to continue. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I felt that way at a point. Actually, I remember my third year, at the end of my third year, going into my fourth year, my academic advisor looked at me, and the man said, uh, Diji, you're not going to graduate next year. I'm going, bro, my parents have suffered. The point I'm trying to make to you is that If you have any form of, if you're reasonable in any way, there is a sense of responsibility you embrace because of the investment that has been made in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So even if you don't want to grow for yourself, for the sake of God who made an investment in you, you should want to grow. Because the Bible says that to him whom much has been given, much more will be required of you. And trust me, much has been given to you. It only cost him his son's life. I mean, gee, not a lot, (laughs) right? Only some stripes, right? Much, much has been invested in you. I talked about that last week. The life of God is in you. The Holy Spirit of God resides inside your person. So if you choose not to grow because you don't care about the benefits to you, okay, for the sake of God— and his kingdom, who has invested much in you, you should desire to grow. And so, under that topic of kingdom, two reasons why you should grow. The first one is so that you can produce abiding fruit. Fruit, I talked about fruit, all right? This, this Corinthian church, <laughs> they were full of gifts gifted people, all manner of gifts. They could speak, the gift of elocution, they could play the keyboard, very gifted people, all right? And look at yourselves. I mean, you're very gifted in one way or the other. But the truth is, the gift is great, but it's about your fruit. When the fruit is married with the gift, then that is the sweet spot. That's when you have a sweet-smelling server that you can offer to God. That's when your sacrifice is acceptable unto him, so that you can produce abiding fruit. Don't forget, though, that it takes a mature tree to produce fruit. It also takes a mature human being to birth a baby. You get to the age where they say, this is the age of puberty. And if you're a lady, especially if you're from a particular country, your mom tells you, if a boy touches you, you get pregnant. He <laughs> yeah, did I have that talk with you. <laughs> your mom's like, you're now a woman. <laughs> if your, your boy touches you now, you're going to get pregnant. The point is, you had to grow to a place of maturity before you can birth anything. And it's the same thing in our spiritual work. The fruits, you cultivate fruits. You don't impart fruits. I can't lay hands on you and say, "Receive love in Jesus name." No, you must cultivate love. Oh receive patience. <laughs> no. It doesn't work that way. The fruits of the spirit must be cultivated. There is an investment God has made in you. There is a seed that He has put in you, and that seed must produce fruit. Must, it must. There is nowhere in all of Scripture that shows that God is tolerant with unfruitfulness. Nowhere. There's nowhere that God ever made an investment and doesn't expect a return. It's never happened, not the God of the Bible. And Jesus gets to a fig tree, (laughs) out of season, by the way, and he's upset that there's no fruit on it, and he curses the fig tree. Curses the fig tree. So how much fruit do you have in your life? Don't say, I serve on team. That's not fruit. How much fruit do you have in your life? Because you can look at fruit in multiple categories. You can look at fruit as, number one, the fruits of the Spirit. That's one class of fruit. You can look at fruit as the result or the tangible works of your hands as it pertains to the kingdom of god or you can look as fruit as people that you have birthed in christ people you've led to jesus how many people have you led to jesus you've been led to jesus four or five years ago and we are still leading you to jesus <laughs> you know <laughs> listen listen the writer of hebrews we don't know who it is whoever it is i think it's paul but i can't say for sure <laughs> he's speaking to the, the hebrews and he's saying to them that you ought to be teachers by now But we are still teaching you. We are still teaching you. All right? Your life must be fruitful in souls, fruitful in your works, okay? And also fruitful in the fruits of the Spirit. Not the gifts, because the Corinthian church had all the gifts. If you needed a seer, they could see vision for you. But when the guy sees the vision for you, because he doesn't have the fruits of the Spirit, he'll come to you in public. So everybody will know that he's a seer, and say, I saw you last night in my dream, and somebody on a broom was chasing you. Now, the gift is manifest, but there's no fruit. And then when someone prophesies, there's envy, even envious of the other person's gifts. So the Holy, same Holy Spirit working in you is working in me. He's giving me a gift. He's giving you a gift. And you are envious of the gift that he's given to somebody else that came by the same Spirit. That's why Paul did not spare these guys. He was like, you guys are, you've lost your minds completely. Because there, there were factions in that church. Some of them said, well, I belong to Paul. Some said, I belong to Apollos. And, and Paul was like, look, guys, seriously? Is that really the conversation we should be having right now in the body of Christ? Right? So you must produce fruit. It takes maturity. That's what I'm trying to say. To bear fruit. It take, And not just fruit, but enduring fruit. To bear fruit. I talked about a, like a, a maize plant or something. If a plant a maize plant, and in one week, it starts to bring out corn. Are you going to eat that corn? You're going to eat it. Okay, you're not going to eat it. That's not, that's not healthy. I don't know what it is. It's definitely not corn. <laughs> it takes time. It takes stature to be able to bring forth fruit. That's what I'm trying to say. It takes stature. Fruits of the Spirit. Second Peter 1, 5-9. I want to read that, that scripture to us in NLT. Just pay attention to what's mentioned here second peter chapter 1 from verse 5 to 9 peter says in view of all this listen to what he's asking them to do he says make every effort to respond to god's promises so he says supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence these are all fruits by the way moral excellence with knowledge knowledge with self-control self-control with patient endurance patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. All fruits, by the way. Now, he says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, but those who fail to develop, in other words, they fail to mature, to grow in this way. Which way? Knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection. He says, Those who fail, they are short-sighted or blind and they forget that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So number one reason why you should grow for the sake of the kingdom is so that you can produce what? Abiding fruits. Abiding fruits. You have to be able to bring something back to God and say this is the fruit of the seed that you've put inside of me and not empty-handed. You can't take the gifts back to God. They're gifts. He gave you do you understand that? It's the fruits that you cultivated. So you can't tell God oh God, you know, God, God is never going to reward you because you're a, you're a prophet. There's reward for being accurate and being consistent with your work of Christ with Christ. But He's not going to reward you for the gift he gave you. Do you understand that? It makes no sense. Think about it. He'll reward you for your fruits, though. And the Bible has never said that you will know them by their gifts, you will know them by their what? By their fruits. The second reason why, for the sake of the kingdom, is so that you can take on kingdom responsibility. I hope you know that it's only people who have grown in God that can take on responsibility. There's an age you get to, naturally, where your parents stop doing everything for you. Where your parents expect that you're now able to carry some responsibility, some weight on your shoulders. And so if you're 12, 13 years old, Your parents have to make you cereal in the morning. You know that there's a problem there. Of course, you don't expect a 12-year-old to be able to pay the rent. And so as you keep growing, there is more responsibility that you must carry. You have to carry more responsibility for the sake of the kingdom. So the investment that God puts in you is so that you can grow to the point where responsibility for the kingdom is put upon your shoulders. The Bible says that... and. The kingdom, the government shall be upon his shoulders. It's not the shoulders of the child that was born, but of the son that was given. There's a difference between the child that was born and the son that was given. Can God put responsibility on you? We are in our CLT retreat yesterday, and one of the things we talked about was faithfulness. And faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness is one of the attributes of God. It means being constant. Do you have a testimony of faithfulness? Meaning that, can God brag about you that whatever I put into this person's hand, whatever is committed to them, they will be there. Whatever I've asked you to do, you will do. By the way, <clears throat> kingdom responsibility is beyond what we do in church. For some of you, the kingdom responsibility that God is going to give you is that he wants to raise a prophet who is your child. And then here you are, you and your wife. In the morning, you call yourself Bastard. No, I'm serious. In the afternoon, you call someone foolish, stupid. You drive on the road, you curse the other drivers. You are a steward of a prophet sitting in your backseat observing dysfunction as a lifestyle. Can God trust you? Can he put something that has kingdom value in your hands and you will not squander it like that prodigal son? When you don't grow, God cannot trust you with responsibility. You will make a mess of it. You make a mess of it. Are you faithful? Yesterday we said that faithfulness is like being it's like being a tree. If it's a tree, if you come next week, it's going to be there. If you come the week after, it's going to be there. It doesn't move. It's steady, it's constant. Are you constant? Are you constant? And so one of the markers of spiritual growth is responsibility, naturally. Naturally, and accountability. <laughs> when, you don't, when you don't have accountability or you don't have a sense of responsibility for kingdom things, when kingdom things don't bother you, like it doesn't bother you at all, that means that you have not grown. You know, like your child, when you're a child, for example, you don't care how the house looks. You're just a child. you just run around playing Legos or what have you. When you get to a particular age and your house looks disorganized, it's dirty, as a child who's grown and attained stature, you are bothered by it because there's a sense of responsibility that you have about the house. And that's how it is also with the kingdom of God. When you grow, no one needs to teach you to have accountability. You will just know that it is my responsibility to protect everything that is the kingdom of God at any cost, Because I have a stake in it. You don't consider yourself just a recipient. You consider yourself an active player, a participant, a contributor, as it were. So it's one of the markers of spiritual growth is how spiritually responsible are you? How spiritually accountable are you? Another marker of spiritual growth is faith. When you grow in your walk with God, one of the things that grows with you is your level of faith. I'm not talking about the gift of faith, because the gift of faith comes... The Bible says, as the Spirit wills for specific situations, you cannot judge growth by this gift of faith you have, but your regular, everyday faith, the workings of faith, how much faith do you have? And the disciples of Jesus came to him at a point, and they said, we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. And Jesus Christ was amazed. He said, how is it that you still have no faith? In other words, you've been walking with me the whole time. I thought that you would at least have grown in faith. And we'll do a series on faith this year. Another marker of spiritual growth is love. Love. How much love do you have? Do you love people more than you did when you met Jesus? Anything that makes you love people less is not God. It cannot be God. No matter your reason. No matter your reason. I've heard Christians say things like all these LGBTQ people let them, let's just pray that they should just die. I've heard, no, I, I heard a pastor say it on the pulpit. I, I doubt he's even saved. But let's assume he's saved. He is not born. He is not grown. He's not grown. I can disagree with your way of life. It does not mean I hate you. Do you understand that? It doesn't mean that. It cannot mean that. That is not God. Love Spiritual wisdom is another marker of spiritual growth. How much spiritual wisdom do you have? Spiritual wisdom is knowing what to do by the inspiration of the Spirit in all situations. When you're up against a situation, do you have spiritual wisdom to handle it? Or you're completely stumped, you're clueless? Because trust me, you're going to have some situations that will come up against you and the answer is just going to be something that is inspired in your spirit to do how much of spiritual wisdom do you have in your life one of the difference between a boy and a man is wisdom i hope (laughs) i hope and one of the things that wisdom does is that it makes you achieve more with less so something that you can do in two weeks without wisdom it can take you 10 months do you understand that spiritual wisdom how much of spiritual I'm not talking about the wisdom of this world, that you read some books. I'm saying spirit-inspired wisdom that comes to you when you need it. And your ability to trust that intuition of the Holy Spirit in you and follow through. It would save you many times. It will bring you out of many situations in life. And it's not, I'm not talking about God spoke to me. I'm talking about just knowing what to do. Let me tell you some signs of spiritual immaturity. One of the signs of spiritual immaturity is instability in any form in any form when you're not stable in any way shape or form some of you are not stable in your beliefs if a pastor tells you this this week you believe it somebody tells you something contrary next week you believe it somebody else tells you something new all kinds of rumors, and you are as confused as the word rumor, because you've never read the scriptures for yourself to understand what the scripture says and so people come to jesus and jesus christ <laughs> He's talking to religious scholars. He says to them that you are in error because you do not know the scriptures. They are religious scholars. Instability in doctrine, instability in what you believe, instability in your emotions is a sign that you've not grown. You must be centered. You must, you cannot, I talked about last week, you cannot be tossed to and fro by every storm of life. You can't. Signs of spiritual immaturity, pride. 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 When someone is proud, it means they don't understand the grace of God. That's the simple reason why a person can be proud. Fruitlessness. Talked about that already. Loose tongues. When you speak carelessly. Like Paul said, when I was a child, I I spoke as a child. You know, children have no filter. Completely embarrassing. I'm telling you. We drive through one day and my son is sitting in the back. I don't even know how he sees this guy. He says, ha, ha, ha. Such a big man. I'm going, bro. We can't say that out here. Be quiet. And he's like, yeah, but he's big. I'm like, dude, man, (laughs) what are you saying? Stop. (laughs) Before this guy spits in my my burger. (laughs) What is that? Loose tongues. Just say anything. You confess negatively. You say negative things about your hasty vows. Things that you cannot keep. You just make promises casually. You're dating someone at the age of 22. And you're already making vows to them that if you break up with me, I'll never marry anybody else. What, what's wrong with you? Relax. I cast that spirit out of you. It's, the, it's demonic in nature. Whatever the boy gave you, I rebuke it. <laughs> I have, if you break up with me, I'll die. I won't marry anybody else. The heartbreak would be too much. You're 22 for crying out loud. Hasty <laughs> vows. Wrong words. Jesus was very measured in his words. Very measured. You didn't catch him just uttering rubbish no no signs of immaturity if you are easily offended easily offended if you're highly offendable you are always upset someone has always someone always does something to you grow up we're dealing with human beings fam. jesus said in this world offense will surely come so a lack of discernment Inability to endure hardship. You can't finish everything. Those are signs of spiritual immaturity. But I want to show you something in five minutes when I tie this up. Because we read a scripture about the two sons. In the two sons of the man we read about, there are different classes of spiritual immaturity. Both of them are spiritually immature, by the way. You see, the first son is a gifted, ambitious son. We have them in the body of Christ. Ambitious. The guy said, give me what belongs to me. And after he gets it, you can tell that his heart is wrong. Because he runs away. He could have gotten it and stayed like his brother. Because the Bible says he gave to both of them. The younger son took off. Spiritual maturity. Does not want accountability. Looking for independence. There's no such thing as independence in the body of Christ, people. We don't want to be accountable. You are a rolling stone. I tell people all the time, never, I don't care how Greek his tongues or her tongue sound, marry a person that nobody can tell, sit down, and they sit down. Never marry such a person. If you do, you'll pay a price for years. Great shall be your suffering. Oh, yeah, that's the truth. In the body of Christ, we are meant to be accountable. Someone should be able to tell you, you are wrong. And don't, don't, no stories about it. You are wrong is you are wrong. Just go and fix the issue. No matter who you are, this guy ran away where there was no covering. He wanted to be on his own. And you obviously saw the consequence of being on your own. What did he do? He squandered it. Squandered the wealth. So this this son is gifted, he's ambitious, but he wants independence. He despises accountability. And he's not planted. He's not what? Not planted. One of the ways that we slyly escape accountability in the body of Christ today is that we're not planted anywhere. I said that before. I am saying it again. When you have four pastors, you don't have accountability. You can't be accountable to four people. Oh, and by the way, you can't also be accountable to an online pastor. Let me just say that to you. Someone that doesn't know you, you can't. You can't. It's not possible. So when we when we when we do that, what we're doing is we are avoiding accountability. So you talk to one about one issue, and he tells you this is you're wrong here. Do it this way then you can't tell the other person, oh, I have this problem. Hmm. Spiritual immaturity. Another sign from that story is that he squandered the inheritance. Squandered it. By the way, in our spiritual context, faith is our spiritual currency. So one of the things that happens to spiritually immature people is that you will run out of faith. Yeah, You, would, you will come up against situations where you have no currency in you to address the issues. You're depleted. This guy was completely depleted. And the Bible says that he went. The Bible is not vague about what he did with the money. Wild living—that's what the Bible says. Wild living, and it says prostitutes, actually, which has different connotations and what it means, really. But when a believer is someone who's always seeking pleasure and enjoyment and loves the world more than God, is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Yeah. Soft life, she called it. <laughs> soft life. Is that wrong with soft life? Oh. But just don't love the world. Don't love the world. There's nothing the world has to offer you. And anything the world has to offer you can only offer you something in your soul. It's going to lead to vanity. It can never feed your spirit. That's why you can have all the money in the world and jump off a bridge. Yes. The younger son also has no clue how to handle adversity. He runs into problems and he goes from bad to worse before the Bible says when he came to his senses. I like that. He doesn't know how to handle adversity. So, in the body of Christ today, we have Christians that they are on fire when things are good for them. And when they come against challenges, they have no context. How do I navigate a difficult season of my life? One of the things I teach this year is a series or a topic on suffering as a Christian. Because we think that, as a Christian, once I pray once, God must answer. Have you ever been through stuff as a child of God? Stuff. This guy didn't know what to do. He went, he decided to go back to the father immediately. He went to join somebody else and he was even worse than a slave, working with pigs. The younger son had a warped sense of identity because he should have known better that he's a son and not a slave. And that if I go back to my father, he's going back to his father to negotiate to become a slave. It doesn't matter what you do. A lion is still a lion. Is a lion any day. And as a child of God, many times when we've been through stuff, and this is what happens to us with condemnation. You come to God with that warped sense of identity that, oh, you know, I don't even think God is going to hear me. I don't even think God loves me anymore. But the father is the father. His love for you never changes. How he sees you would never change will never change he does not understand the love of the father he's spiritually immature and his older brother (laughs) I call that one the ignorant envious one this guy had all the possessions in the house there was a Bentley here a Rolls Royce here a private jet here and he kept riding bicycles to school and he's upset he's upset by the way he's lord of all And he's upset that the father will celebrate the returning of his brother. So he's envious. His heart is not right. That's not right. And let's not pretend as Christians. It happens to us, guys. Say, oh, this person just became born again three weeks ago. All of a sudden, she got the best job, and we've been fasting for two years. That is not the right response. Something is not right in your heart. When you cannot rejoice for people, truly rejoice for them, and truly celebrate other people, It means that something is wrong with your heart. I've been with you all these years. I've slaved for you. So he was obedient, but he was ignorant about his inheritance. did not know what he had at his disposal. He could have killed that fattened calf before that nuisance came back. Yeah, he could have killed the fattened calf. and ate the calf. So when the boy came back, he would have nothing to eat. He could have. But he did not. So some of us are like that. Someone grows in their walk with God, they learn the handle of the Spirit and God starts to use them and you get envious of them when you haven't done what you ought to have done. The ignorant, envious brother is self-centered, focuses on self and may I say, he does not have any sense of kingdom responsibility whatsoever. What should happen is you should be glad that your brother is back the only responsible response to that to that situation not envy not anger like he had he has no sense of kingdom he's so focused on himself that he cannot see the bigger picture and so as children of God when we're self-centered we don't have a kingdom mentality and all the traits and if you you study that thing and really meditate on that scripture very well and I, I encourage you to there's a lot there you would see lots of symptoms of spiritual immaturity which one are you guilty of? Because we're all guilty of something, trust me. The Bible says that, Galatians 4, 1, that the heir, the heir, as long as he's a child, is not, or different not from a slave, even though he is Lord of all. That's so profound. And that's exactly what played out in the life of this younger son. He was the heir. But because of his immaturity, he lived like a slave. Practically live like a slave. Even though he was master of everything. I don't know what your commitment should be, but I want to tell you something. You must grow. You must when Christians refuse to grow, they're a problem for themselves, they're a problem for the body of Christ, they're a problem for everybody. A problem for everybody. There's nothing wrong with having many children as a parent. However, if you have happen to have 30 children that are all babies at the same time great (laughs) great shall be your suffering great shall be your suffering if you have one that is 22 and then 21 and a half i don't know how you've been doing it but uh, and then you have like a couple of twins that are like three or four and then you have like toddlers infants you can survive but the body of christ today is crippled we're running nurseries nurseries, people clueless about the things of God. And the, the worst thing is that they've been in church for so long that it's difficult to tell them that you need to grow. They're like, I've been in church for 22 years. Tell yourself, grow up. Emphatically, tell yourself, grow up. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, Download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.